Lord, change things for somebody today. We've come before you today because we need you to change things. We need you to heal sick bodies. We need you, dear Lord, to save unsaved souls. We need you to strengthen the weak and lift up that downhearted person and put that broken heart back together again. Let your word go forth in power. Let your glory and your might and your excellence be in the word today. Not my frailty or even my weakness. Use the word, dear Lord, and bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read from Psalm 106. Psalm 106, verse 10. The Bible says, he saved them from the hand of him who hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. Then they believed his words and sang his praise. But they soon forgot his works. And did not wait for his counsel. They lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. He gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. Would you look towards your neighbor and just tell your neighbor, be thankful. Tell the one on the other side, be thankful. Please be seated. There are those who proclaim that man is no different from any other form of animal life. They recognize the greater intelligence of man, but they say that's just because he's further along in the evolutionary scale. And they hold that man can be defined totally in physical terms and sustained totally by physical factors. This is the practical or philosophic view of many people on the earth today. They've made abundant provisions for the physical, material aspects of life and nothing for the spiritual aspects of life. There's nothing inherently wrong with providing the physical and material needs that men have on the earth. Except for the fact that Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Other earthly occupants, other lower forms of animal life can be sustained by physical provisions. But man needs more than bread and shelter, comfort, and luxury. And it is only as we understand this that we're really ready to experience and live life at the fullest and highest level. Man is both physical and spiritual. 
And there is that within man which images and corresponds and responds to God. There is that within man which feels responsible to God and which reflects the moral nature of God by thinking in terms of right and wrong, good and bad. There is that which hungers for and reaches out for fellowship with Almighty God. There is that which transcends or stands above the physical world and the physical man that we see and even life and death and reaches into eternity and into worlds that we can never see with the natural eye. We'll call this man's soul or man's spiritual nature. And though human inclination is in the very opposite direction, I would assert and the Bible asserts that priority of first preference ought always be given to the spiritual rather than the physical. I want to strongly declare that if you want to have a right set of priorities, you've got to prioritize the spiritual first and then the physical second. This is the case because, number one, God relates to us by means of the spiritual. And if he does not relate to us through our spiritual nature, our spiritual mind, there's nothing else within us that will respond to or recognize the greatness of our God. And number two, God must be primary because the spiritual makes provision for the righteous needs of the physical. You put your spirit in charge, your physical body will be cared for, your material needs will be provided for, your physical needs will be met, your life will be orderly, your family will be blessed, you'll be a better worker, you'll be a better person, you'll be better in every possible way when you put the spirit in charge. Because the spirit makes provision for the righteous needs of the physical. But when you put the physical in charge, the first thing the physical is going to try to do is kill the spiritual. Eradicate any trace of righteousness, morality, godliness, spiritual aspiration that you have within you because the fleshly man is at enmity with the spirit and fights against the spirit. And not only does the physical make no provision for the needs of the spirit and for the needs of the whole man, the physical and when it destroys everything else, is only temporary and it itself is also going to be destroyed because it's temporary while the spirit is eternal. Amen? The spirit, because it is eternal, has a longer view than does the physical man. The physical man lives in the now, in the here, in the right now, and, and does not even think about tomorrow and the physical man is going to pass away. He's not going to continue forever. And so you'd better put the man that has the longest view in charge of your life. And next I want to say that happiness is infinitely more dependent on the spiritual than it is on the physical. Amen. 
You might think if I could just get stuff, if I could have wealth, if I could have power, if I can have money, I'll be happy. But you won't be happy when you get it and you'll always be driven to try to get some more and you can't control the other areas of your life. You might have all the wealth of the world and still be sick. Might have all the wealth of the world and still be stressed out. Overwhelmed by phobias and uh, obsessions and, and challenges. You, you might have everything you need, but you married the wrong wife. Or the wrong husband. And your house is a hell. You might have 45 rooms. <laughs> you can have everything and still not be happy. Because Augustine said, oh God. Our hearts are restless. No matter how much we have, we are restless until we have rest in thee. And you won't be fulfilled, you won't be happy because God did not create or design us to be motivated and satisfied solely by physical considerations. And we are no better equipped to live without God than we are to live on the bottom of the ocean because it's in God that we live, it's in God that we move, it's in God that we have our being and there is that within us that will not be satisfied until we come into right relationship with God. And if you know I'm right, clap your hands and praise God. Jesus said in Mark 8:36, what will it profit a man if he gained the whole world and then loses his soul? And human human history is in part summarized in Romans chapter 1, starting with verse 21. Part of the Bible says, because that when they knew God or became aware of God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were they thankful, but became vain and self-centered in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened, and professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, wherefore God Gave them up. Look at your neighbor and say, don't let God give you up now. God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts uh, to dishonor their bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You remember the story of Israel's deliverance from Egypt? God used mysterious plagues to influence Egypt's decision to release Israel from captivity. And then when Egypt attempted to recapture them, God protected them with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He caused the Red Sea to back up so that they may go across to safety. And he caused it to return when their enemies tried to use the same pathway that they did. When they were in the wilderness, God sustained them with water from a rock, from manna, from on high bread, miraculously fell from heaven. And one would think that they would bombard heaven with thanksgiving and bombard heaven with praise that they would respond to God's goodness with faithfulness and with obedience, but not so. After God did everything that he had done for them, they were critical. 
I said they were critical. They were disobedient. They were immoral. They were jealous of God's leader, Moses, and they grumbled and grumbled and complained and grumbled every time they faced an inconvenience. They were so worldly-minded that they could not see God's spiritual purpose, God's providence in separating them to himself as a people. They were so unmindful of what God had done that they could only complain about what God had not done. Every day there's going to be something else to want. Every day there's going to be some kind of inconvenience. I don't care if you get a billion dollars, there's going to be something else to want. There's going to be some kind of inconvenience. And if you wait until there is no kind of inconvenience before you praise God, you'll never give God praise. You'll never thank God. You'll never glorify God for what God is and for what God has done. And God wanted to make Israel a light. He wanted to make them a witness. He wanted to make them an example. But they would not make any sacrifice or accept any convenience to bring the will of God to pass. And they would not defer present comfort for future good. God is at work in your life, but if God is to fulfill his purpose in your life, you're going to have to stretch. You're going to have to strain. You're going to have to go through something. You're going to have to experience some kind of inconvenience. But when God gets through bringing you through whatever he brings you through, God's going to give you a tremendous victory. But you've got to know how to say, yes, Lord, and thank you for my journey thus far. They complained constantly about everything. In the text, the specific source of their complaint was that they were sick and tired of the manna that God was sending down from heaven every day. <laughs> it was fresh every morning, but they were tired of it. All they had to do was walk out, pick it up, prepare it, and eat it all day long. But they were tired of it. No cash registers, but they were tired of it. No bills, no planting, no reaping, no plowing. All they had to do was pick it up and eat. But they were tired of it. It was nutritionally adequate. Every vitamin, every mineral, everything they needed to live and to be strong and to be healthy. It was even medicinal because they had no sickness, no disease when they ate it. But they were tired of it. God did not have to do anything for them. You know, God doesn't have to do anything for you. God's not obligated to you. God, God doesn't have to bless you. God doesn't have to take care of you. God doesn't have to love you. God doesn't have to spend his time with you. Just doesn't have to do it. If he does it at all, it's by his grace. It's by his goodness. It's by his mercy. Hallelujah. And when God did it by his goodness, by his grace, and by his mercy, instead of saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, they said, listen, I don't like this, I don't like that, I don't like the other, I'm tired of this, I'm sick of that. What did this do to their relationship <laughs> with God? Have you ever tried to help somebody 
But instead of thanking you for helping them, they criticized the way you tried to help them. <laughs> Have you ever given somebody a gift and they say, oh, I, I didn't want that. I wanted this over here. I wanted... Listen, it was a gift. Somebody going to give you a gift, you ought to thank them because they don't have to do it. Oh, I wish somebody would help me preach. You never feel as close to people who are critical and unthankful after you see their attitude and their spirit as you were before. You thought they were going to appreciate you. You thought they were going to thank you. You thought they were going to recognize the sacrifices that you made, but when they did not, something went out of your heart. And you never felt the same way about them again. You remember the prodigal son? He said to the father who had sustained him, provided for him, even set aside an inheritance for him, said, Father, I want what you got, but I don't want anything to do with you. Give me the portion of inheritance that falleth unto me. And he left home and went down into a far land and wasted his father's substance with prodigal living. Hmm. He only wanted his father's possessions, but he did not want his father. He did not appreciate his father himself. When you are confronted by people whom you thought were your friends who come across like this, you might even give them what they're asking you for, but the relationship is never, ever the same again. A parent might share, a parent might give, a parent might empty his or her pockets for their children, but if they find out that their children don't really appreciate them and not willing to respond in the same way and not willing to make sacrifices and go out of their way to advance the entrance of the parent, the parent might keep on providing, but the heart of the parent will be broken they said we are sick of this manna from heaven we want some meat we want some meat we want some quail we want, we want some meat we want to diversify and vary our diet and so God sent them meat <laughs> sent quail by the thousands but their relationship with God was not the same. Ever been around folk who don't talk to you until they want something from you? Ever had a salesperson in a store, in a place of business, to follow you around smiling as if you were the greatest and most wonderful person in the earth, uh, call you up, try to get you to sign the contract, to buy this, to buy that, and then when you buy it, they don't, want, they don't even have time for you? You couldn't get away from the phone without them calling you. But after you signed the contract, paid the down payment, paid the deposit, you couldn't find them anywhere on the face of the earth. People who relate to God just to make a deal. People who relate to God just to satisfy a need. People who never pray until they're in trouble go away from God with lean souls. Hallelujah. Let me observe here that they wouldn't trust God to plan the menu. 
Look at your neighbor and say, you need to trust God to plan the menu. And instead of trusting God to plan the menu, they placed their own order and they called to God as if God was a waiter in a two-bit cafe and rudely ordered, we want some meat. <laughs> God answered, all right, I'll give you meat until it runs out of your nose. Well, I'm talking about Numbers 10 and verse 18. Then you shall say to the people, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, who will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt, therefore the Lord will give you meat. And you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, not two days, not five days, not ten days, not twenty days, but for a whole month, a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and become loathsome to you because you have despised the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we ever come out of Egypt? God, they were crying in slavery. God brought them out of slavery. When God brought them out, provided for them, they said we should have stayed in slavery. They were not thankful. They did not give God's glory. And by their attitude, they broke their relationship with God. They spoiled the menu that God had planned for them by stressing the physical rather than the physical. And he gave them their request. But he sent leanness unto their souls. Lean soul is a hungry, thirsty soul. Whole lot of fat folk with skinny souls. A lean soul is an unsatisfied soul. A lean soul is a weak, anemic soul. A, weak, a lean soul is a soul unable to obtain its needs. A lean soul is dehydrated, cannot assert itself, unable to benefit from the ample material benefits. A lean soul is an unhappy soul. A lean soul falls beneath the standard of Almighty God. A lean soul is an unprovided for soul, not useful to God, not useful to itself, not useful to anybody else. A lean soul is a soul without depth and without sensitivity and without discrimination. A lean soul is a soul without moral sophistication, unfulfilled, inadequate. A lean soul is a soul separated from God. And God gave them their requests, but he left their souls lean. How did God send this leanness? Number one, God sends leanness by withdrawing himself. Oh, there are times when the presence and the power of God is everywhere. In every direction you turn, the anointing of God is upon you. But when your soul gets lean, you're crying and you're searching and you're seeking and you can't feel God nowhere. God just backs off of you for a while he says listen I've given you enough time enough love I've given you enough help you've given me no thanks no praise I'm backing off a little bit and see how you can make it when I'm off in the distance listen David said take not your presence from me hallelujah God, listen, don't take your Holy Spirit. If, if I lose your spirit, if I, I lose my anointing, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. Let my hand forget its cunning. God, I desire you. I want you. But when God backs off, your soul becomes lean. When what you want makes you forget what God has done, 
your soul becomes lean. God, yes, all of us have desires, aspirations, things that we would desire. But listen, when you are so focused on what you don't have and what you want, that you don't pause to say, Lord, I thank you, Lord, I glorify you, Lord, I magnify you, Lord, I praise your name. Listen, your soul needs praise. Your soul needs thanks to make it strong and to give it strength. And when you stop praising and start begging, oh, I wish I had a church to pray for me today. <clears throat> your soul becomes lean. When you feel that God is obligated to you, your soul becomes lean. Because when you feel God is obligated, you're not depending on the grace of God and the mercy of God. And when you feel that God does something that he's obligated to do, you don't thank him, you don't magnify him, you don't bless him like you should. Listen, the reason I can't get some folk to get into praise is because they feel like they are blessing to God rather than God being a blessing to them. They feel like they're adding to God rather than God adding to them. And they feel that whatever God has done for them, God was supposed to do it. But God didn't have to stop that car from running over you the other day. God did not have to enable you to see that uh, a challenge while you were driving and, and, and avoided. God did not have to keep that man that was going to break in your house last night from backing off and going another way. God did not have to stop that person who was walking up to you on the street with a gun in his pocket, but God turned him away. Listen, you ought to praise him for what you know about and you ought to praise him for what you don't know about because the things that you don't know God has done are more numerous than what God has done. Yes, thank him for what he does, but thank him for what he did that you don't know anything about. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When you become selfish and self-centered, your soul becomes lean. When you get all wrapped up in yourself, concerned about yourself, your soul becomes lean. But when you begin to reach out and help and lift and say, Lord, bless me, now I'm going to bless somebody else. The Lord, bless me, I'm going to bless the work of God. The Lord, bless me, I'm going to find somebody that I can help, that I can lift. The Bible says that the liberal soul shall flourish. In other words, a liberal soul is not a lean soul. Because when you get confidence in God, and you know it's nothing but the grace of God, you don't mind giving because you know that as you give and as you share, the God of all the earth that gave you what you got in the first place can always replenish your supply. The Sea of Galilee is flourishing. It's beautiful. There are flowers on the seashore. There are fish within it. There are children playing around the seashore. Oh, bless the name of God. The birds are flying overhead. A few miles away, the Dead Sea is dead. There's nothing alive in it. It's so dense with minerals that you can't even sink when you would swim in it. There are no fish within it. There are no birds above it. And the difference between the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee is the Sea of Galilee has an inlet and it has outlets. It recedes from the north, but it releases into the Jordan River in the south. And it's alive because it not only receives, 
but out of gratitude for receiving, it also gives. But the Dead Sea is dead because it only receives and it never really gives. Child of God, if you want your soul to be fat and healthy, then you've got to understand that you've got to be thankful enough to share and give with others and give to the work of the Lord. Hallelujah. How did their soul become lean? Well, your soul becomes lean whenever you spoil your relationship with God. When you stop praising him, when you stop thanking him, when you stop giving him glory, your soul becomes lean. Oh, bless the name of the Lord. But finally, God sent the leanness by letting them have what they want. Sometimes when God wants to really punish you, he'll just answer your prayer. He'll just let you have what you're asking for. He'll give you what you want. And sometimes when he's given you what you want, you'll find out that what you wanted was not what you wanted. It begins to separate you from God. It brings sorrow and despair into your life. Somebody wants bodily gratification, but when you have that bodily gratification, you didn't know you were gonna get HIV and AIDS along with it. When you had that bodily gratification, you didn't know your level was gonna go upside your head that very night and leave you all by yourself. Somebody wanted gratification, but they found out that that was not what they really wanted. Somebody wants unhallowed ambition. They want to accomplish heights of publicity and popularity and renown. But when they get it, they found out they were surrounded by phony people that cared nothing about them. Somebody else wanted an unfavorable friendship. I know that's the wrong person for me to be around but they are a fantastic person and I just want to be around them. But when you get around them, you find out that they are under the control of the devil and they bring only sorrow into your life. And what you need to pray is, Lord, you know what I need. You know all about my situation. You know the longing of my heart and the desire of my spirit. And I want you to search my mind and search my will. If you find anything that should not be, take it out and straighten me. Let my will, let your will be my will. Let your way be my way. Lord, you plan the menu. I'm just gonna praise you. Whatever you bring into my life, I'm going to magnify you. I'm going to bless your name. Come on and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the bad and the good. Thank you for the pain and the comfort. Thank you for what I don't like. And thank you for what I do like. You've got to learn how to be a hallelujah. Anyhow person, are there any hallelujah? Anyhow people in the house, when you learn how to say hallelujah, anyhow, God may bring what looks like a problem, but when you get through with it, it turns out to be a blessing. God may bring what seems to be painful, but when God gets through, it'll be a treasure. God may bring something that is rough, but when God takes you through it, 
you'll come out in the victory. Job said he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I'm coming out of this. I'm coming out of this. Tell somebody I'm coming out of this. I'm coming out of this. Shining like gold. God, I said God knows how to plan the menu. You ought to thank him for everything he brings. Thank him for all that he does in your life. Hallelujah. Samson or Solomon did not ask for wealth. He did not ask for money. He said, just give me wisdom. And God said, because you asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you wisdom. But I'm also going to give you wealth. I'm going to give you money. I'm going to give you houses and castles and treasures unknown. Elisha did not ask for money. He did not ask for wealth. He said, all I want is a double portion of the spirit that's on Elijah. And God gave him that. And God gave him everything else. Child of God, when you look up to God and say, Lord, all I want to do is please you. All I want to do is do your will. All I want is to seek your kingdom. The Lord said, I'm going to give you the kingdom, but I'm going to give you wealth. I'm going to give you joy. I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you health. Hallelujah. If you seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all of these things, all of these things shall be added unto you. Delight yourself in the Lord. Anybody delighting in God? When you delight in God, it's your pleasure to praise him. When you delight in God, you're thanking him. You're glorifying him. When you delight in God, you're not sitting on the seat of apathy, but you're on your feet praising God. When you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. Come on and praise him. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. 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 I delight in you. I praise you. I thank you. I glorify you. There's a problem over there, but my eyes are not on the problem. My eyes are on you, God. Hallelujah. My blessings are greater than my problems in the midst of it all. You're so good to me, and I love you. If I live in a shack, or if I live in a mansion, I love you. If I'm riding the bus or driving a limousine, I love you. If I have fine clothes or nothing to wear, I love you. In the midst of pain, in the midst of trouble, I'm going to praise you. Child of God, you can praise your way out of it. You can praise your way out of it. God knows what you mean. And he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you may ask I think. Say it after me, exceeding abundantly above all. Say it one more time, exceeding abundantly above all. I can't ask for anything 
greater than what he's going to give me. I can't think of anything greater than what's on the way. So I'm not going to tell God what to do. I might ask for a hot dog and he has Chateaubriand. I might ask for a shrimp and he has a lobster. I might ask for nothing and he has something great. So I'm going to say, any way you bless me, I'll be satisfied. Child of God, you can praise your way out of your dilemma. You can praise your way out of your trouble. You can praise your way out of your distress. When you're praising, he shows up with 10,000 blessings in his hand. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, when you're praising, he shows up with 10,000 blessings in the palm of his hand. Come on, Jesus. I'm not asking you for anything. I just want to thank you. I just want to praise you. I just want to magnify you. Come on, give him praise. 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 Give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. 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 Glory, 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 glory. Baba Baba Soko. Yadaba Soko. He loaded the Makosa. Shakoba Hasa. Yadaba Soko. He loaded the Makosa. Shakoba Hasa. Hallelujah. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. How many people in the house have a real, legitimate, tangible need that you've been praying to God about? You've been praying to God about it. You've been asking God to do something about it. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you for the rest of this week, don't ask God for it again. Don't even ask him. Don't even mention it to him. What I want you to do is for the rest of the week, just start praising him and thank Now, now, that thing that you need, how many of you worried about it this week? You're worried about it. Every time worry tries to come in, just say, I'm not going to worry. I thank you. Praise you. Thank you. Glorify your name. I thank you, Lord. I magnify you. You're great. I magnify your name. I bless your name. I praise your name. And I want you to know that by this time next week, many of you, I go come in here saying, God heard my prayer. God sent me what I needed. Because after all, who would you be glad to respond to? 
Somebody that begged you for something every time you saw them. Or somebody who told you, hey, man, you're great. You, you look nice. I, I'm glad to see you. Thank God for you. Listen, when I think about all the kindness you've expressed to me, I just get so happy and I just praise God for having you in my life. I thank God. You're a wonderful person. You're somebody special. You're somebody great. Now, listen, who would you want to bless? The one that praised you or the one that always begged? If you knew somebody always going to beg every time you thought about it, oh, here he come again. What you want now? What you asking for now? But somebody who gives you a lift, you call them, but hey, I needed a lift. And every time I talk to you, I get a lift. And, and, and you start lifting them up and encouraging them. Listen, they would rather bless you than bless somebody who's always begging. When I count to three, I want you to practice this because I know it's rough for you to really get in the niche of this because you've been asking God for so much for so long and, and not giving him the praise that you need to give him. Some of you are deficit praisers. You, you, God did things 20 years for you ago that you haven't really thanked him for. But when I count to three, I want us to Shabbat God with the high praise of Zion. And I want you to praise God for everything that he has done, for everything that he is doing, for everything that he will do. You might be one of those dignitudes, one of those sophisticates that don't believe in getting loud for God. But when I think of the goodness of Jesus, and all he has, one, two, three, praise him.
It's more than a life that just speaks words to God. A thankful life is one that appreciates, places the appropriate value on what God has done. And when you appreciate something, you do what is necessary that approximates and compares to its appropriate value. Your response to it is at the level of the value of what it is to you. A thankful life, a life that gives thanksgiving to God, is a life that recognizes its obligation. When people say, I'm much obliged, they're saying that what you have done obligates me to you. And not only am I saying thank you, but I'm going to behave in relationship to you in such a way that shows my appreciation for who you are and what you've done. We're much obliged to God, much obligated. You want to check the standard of commitment? Look at Jesus on the cross, dying for you, loving you that much. And you're much obligated and your appreciation should recognize the value of what he's done for you and be willing to do something for him. When God is not appreciated, when God is not thanked, he leaves us lean. He departs from us. He backs off from us. I don't know about you. I don't want God to back off from me. <laughs> I need him every day, every day of my life. So I'm going to praise him. I'm going to thank him. I'm going to appreciate him. I'm going to recognize my obligation to him. I want to speak to somebody in the room who might not have admitted or recognized your obligation to God. Not that God needs you and what you have to offer and give. Not that God can't make it without you. But he loves you so much. And he knows that you cannot become what you should be and must be until you commit yourself and recognize your obligation to him. When you give your life to God, God makes your life more than it could ever be. Your life has purpose. Your life has meaning. Your life has significance. But you can only approach that when you put your life in the hands of God who can bring out the best that needs to be brought out of your life. Someone here today needs to be saved. Someone needs to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You need your sins forgiven. You need God in your life, guiding and directing and empowering you. I want to pray for you. You know your spirit, your soul has been crying out within you. Something's missing. Something is not there. Life is not what it should be. I need God. I need God. I need God. And it's only when you satisfy the need of your soul and your spirit that you'll find life as God would have you to find it. While every head is bowed, I'll pray for you. Everybody stand, please. Stand. I'll pray for you right where you stand. I'll join with you and go to God right where you stand. Every sin in your life can be forgiven. Jesus Christ can become your Lord and Savior. You can know joy and peace that you've never known before.
if you accept Jesus who died for you, who rose again from the dead and who wants to give you new life today. If you're here today and you'd say, Preacher, I need God. I'm sorry for my failure to really give God the glory and the honor for what he's done in my life. I repent for my sins. I want to be saved. I want Jesus to be my Lord. If that's you, I'll pray for you right where you are. Lift your hand, please, so I'll know that it's you. Preacher, pray for me. I need God. I want to be saved. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want my sins forgiven. I want to be sure that things are well between me and God. If that's you, lift that hand up high, please. Let's pray together. Every sin you've ever committed can be forgiven. Your life can be changed by the power of Almighty God. The Lord, I pray for those whose hands are lifted. I pray, the Lord, that by your power you'll come into their lives, that you'll set them free, change them, give them joy unspeakable and full of glory, make them praisers, make them followers, make them thankful people, make them those, dear Lord, on whom you can rely to give you praise and service and obedience. Come into their lives today, dear God. Let them never be the same again. Everybody say this prayer after me, please. Dear Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me for the wrong I've done and the wrong I've been. I want to be saved. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died for my sin. I believe he arose from the dead. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. I give my life to him and I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I am saved. I thank you, Lord. I am forgiven. I thank you, Lord. I have new life. Praise the Lord. 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 Praise the Lord.